0: John 13 is where we've left off. We'll look at, in just a moment, John chapter 13, verse 10 and following. This verse is in the context of the foot washing. The Lord is at the Last Supper. He's just hours before His death. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is still having some problems with the disciples as far as they are not so humble. They're thinking about who's going to be the greatest. They are still interested in being served instead of serving. So Jesus has done several things as far as offering some teaching, offering an illustration, that being the foot washing, to tell them that they needed to serve just as he had served. And that's kind of going to be the overriding theme as we move through the next several verses. In that 10th verse, he says some things that people have wondered about and studied about and talked about some of the things that we'll recover tonight. John 13.10 says, Jesus saith to him, he that is bathed, Needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. As you deal with people like Peter, kind of frustrating sometimes. Peter is the fellow who's running hot and cold. Uh, remember what we talked about last week. One moment he's saying, "You are not going to wash my feet," and if you remember the force of the Greek text, it is no way. Come, you know, heaven, hell, high water, there is no way in earth you're going to wash my feet. And then Jesus responded to that by saying, "What?" If I don't do this, you have no part of me. And then how did Peter respond? Wash all of me. All of me. So uh, your head begins to spin when you're dealing with that kind of person. But this is the kind of individual that Peter was. He had some great qualities. Jesus was very patient. And now he offers another illustration of how the apostles needed humility and how they needed that willingness to serve. And he, he pictures a person who has bathed. or We might say here is a person who showered perfect tense. So as this person has bathed, it's kinda like us. You know, we get uh let's say that we get out of the shower at you know six o'clock in the morning and we feel clean. But does our body stay clean the whole day? No? No? By six fifteen, what might have happened? Well, okay, we could be sweaty. That's not what I want for the illustration, but we could be. All right. We may have had to go out there and fix breakfast. And you know, our hands are full of pancake batter. So we, we don't feel dirty as far as our physical body. I mean, we still feel showered or bathed. But there is that part of our body which now feels dirty and we've got to wash our hands. That's the illustration that Jesus was giving in John 13, verse 10. Only instead of talking about washing hands, which would have been perfectly fine, Jesus used feet. Why do you think he might have used feet instead of some other part of the body? Okay, remember, as we talked about in this culture, no... Um, shoes as we think about them now but they had sandals which would have been open so you're out there in the dirty grimy roads and you also have no socks so that's going to be one of the first things as you go outside that's probably going to get dirty there's really uh, in that culture there was really no way to keep the dirt grime and dust off of the feet so first part of the verse is not that difficult trying to apply it is a little more complex as you look at the latter part of verse 10 the end of the verse you have some information uh that has been explained in a lot of different ways. To me the best illustration is to pursue some cross references. Let's go back and look at a couple of references from the book of Exodus, Exodus twenty nine and also Exodus thirty. Uh, if you read from Exodus twenty nine, we'll start with Exodus twenty nine verse four. Then we'll also ask you to shortly after that read from Exodus chapter thirty, verses eighteen through twenty one. Who'd like to help us? Exodus okay, let's start Betty with Exodus twenty nine verse four. Here's God talking about Aaron, his sons, and he says in preparation to be appointed for the priesthood, what does there need to be? There's got to be a washing. Now one might think that with the Old Testament priesthood there was this washing and that was it. But that's not what we find. God says, Aaron, your sons, you've got to be washed. Exodus 29 verse 4. Now let's slip over to that next chapter, Exodus 30 still talking about Aaron and his sons and look at verses eighteen through twenty one I think this may be the the background that Jesus is appealing to exodus thirty eighteen to twenty one There are at least three things that we can point out here. And I think these all, all three of these items are important. Staying with Exodus 29 and Exodus 30. God says you're washed. But is that enough? No. Before you go into the tent of the meeting, what do you have to do again? There's got to be a washing. Alright, the apostles, they're receiving this information in John chapter 13. Jesus says there's a washing. But is it all that's necessary? No, just like for us. You're washed, you're bathed, but still there are going to be some additional washings. Let's now make the point to Christianity in general. Is there a washing? Yes. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, Paul told the Corinthians, but you were washed. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5, there is the washing of regeneration. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 22, it talks about having the body washed with pure water. So there is that washing. Do we need that washing? Absolutely. We are cleansed from our sins by being baptized into Christ. However, is that washing all that is required? No. Just as we go and we shower, and then as we get some additional dirt on our hands or feet, or maybe it's the arm, the leg, wherever it is, that has to be dealt with as well. What do we find in the spiritual realm? We've been washed, we've been purified, we've been justified, but we still sin. And don't those sins, don't those spots need to be dealt with as well? Yes. So you begin to see, I think here, kind of a quick summary as far as what we find in the New Testament. We've talked about this from some other passages. We've uh, at various times looked at First John chapter 1, verse 7. We've got to walk in the light. There has to be that continued washing so we can maintain our fellowship with God. We also saw this in the book of Revelation, chapter twenty two, verse fourteen, where John using the uh present tense, the force of the Greek text, he talked about American Standard Translations, we wash our robes, or the King James Translation says, Do his commandments because of uh, manuscript um you know um variation, but we do that to continue to maintain that spiritual purity. It's not well we're you know, we're showered, if you will, we're baptized. And then we've got to jump back in the shower again. Now, in the physical realm, it it sometimes works like that. As Virginia said, your body might be covered with sweat, and you need that that second full bath, you need that second full cleansing. But when we look at the Bible, that's not what we find. There is that washing, and then remember Simon in Acts chapter 8? He'd been baptized, he'd been washed, and then after he engaged in sin, what was he told? Repent and pray, that is, uh, you know, you do not need to be baptized a second time. Uh, so Jesus is alluding, in my mind, to not only what we find back there in the book of Exodus, but some things that we talk about on a regular basis. Uh, and here he says the apostles are clean. This is the other major thought that we want to talk about um, and, and develop for just a minute or two. Even though they were clean, did they still have some spots? Were there still some specks of dirt on them? Yeah, what were we talking about? What was that one speck that was really noticeable? What were they struggling with? I want to be, I want to be number one. Well, they've been clean, but Jesus says you still have this issue. You still need to be purified. Now, uh, kind of bridging the gap a little bit here and moving into a different uh, area. Uh, over the years, if you've been in some Bible classes very long, you've probably uh, heard someone ask, maybe a teacher discuss whether or not the apostles were baptized. Uh, that's a question that has puzzled a lot of people. There's not a lot of information in the Bible about it. But in my mind, John 13, verse 10 may provide some information about that fact. We do know that baptism is into Christ. Uh, That baptism that Jesus instituted, Galatians 3.27, is for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus instituted that after he uh, had been raised from the dead, shortly before he went back to heaven. Matthew 28, verse 19, and Mark 16, verse 16. Uh, And that's what people need to do. But the question becomes, what about the apostles? Uh, Were they baptized with that? Uh, we're not specifically told, but it seems to me that there is a good possibility that the apostles were baptized with John's baptism. When you go back and you look at the fact that everybody that seems to have had a good heart was responding to John's baptism, it's hard for me to believe that they were not willing to submit themselves to that. So we can't say for sure. But we can say for sure this. Do you remember what John's baptism was for? It was preparatory. But it was also for the purpose in John, uh, Mark 1 verse 4. John baptized 4 unto so that people could receive the remission. remission of sins. And that was a valid baptism for a period of time. Now there was a time where, as I gave a couple weeks ago, uh, the illustration is kind of like a coupon. It did expire, but there were people who were baptized for that reason. There was a time, a period of time when it was a valid baptism, and I see no reason to um, believe that the apostles Did not submit to that. And now here you have Jesus with the apostles and in John 13 verse 10, he says, I pronounce you clean. We have here, I think, a similar situation. If you remember back in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2 verse 5. Did Jesus forgive a man's sins? He did. And he was, because of who he was and who he is, he was able to say, your sins are forgiven. Well, if he had the power to do that, Did he also have the power, do you think, to pronounce the apostles clean spiritually? don't think he was talking about physical cleanliness. I don't think he was saying all 12 of you had a bath today. But did he have the power to say that you're morally pure, you're morally clean, you're in fellowship with God? He did. And some of you might say, well, well, how could he do that with the apostles and not with people after he went back to heaven? Uh, The apostles, from everything that we find, were in a special relationship with him. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that they were the founding members of the church, they were connected to Christ, and if Jesus had the ability to pronounce people clean um, or remit their sins, Mark 2.5, it to me doesn't seem to be a stretch that he also had this, poss- this ability. If you turn over to a little bit to John chapter 15, verses 3 and 5, you find here a little later in his discussion with the apostles these two statements. He says, already ye are clean. Because of the word which I've spoken unto you. Uh, not because they've been baptized with his baptism. That was going to come a little bit later. But this relationship with Christ, their willingness to submit to him as authority and so forth. And then he says, I'm the vine. Who are the branches? You. The apostles. You're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same beareth much fruit. Uh, so it seems to me the Lord was saying because of who these men were, uh, because of their special status, if you will, he was able to regard them as connected to himself and I am at least comfortable uh, with concluding that they may not have been baptized with the great commission baptism that we read about in Mark 16 and Matthew chapter 28. Others don't have that view, but at least in my mind, that's a possibility. Ray, you look like you had a thought, do you? Yeah,
1: uh, for years I've been thought, and heard that this is referring to that cleansing of all of the apostles, but just of you're, you're clean, but not all of Yes. Meaning Judas, because he was going to go away and betray Jesus. Now, that, that's what I've heard for many years, and that's, that's basically what I believe.
0: Yeah, and to me that would be consistent with what you're You're in a right relationship with God, you, you um, 11. But we've got one other, and Jesus doesn't specifically identify him, but you're right. As you look ahead a little bit at verse 11, the text there says, For he knew him. Singular. He knew him, the one that should betray him. Well, obviously, from other passages, we know that that was Judas. So, he's saying, you eleven, you are in a right relationship with God. That being the case, I feel like I'm on reasonably uh, safe ground to conclude that the apostles did not need that baptism. Now, whatever they did, whatever was required, ultimately it doesn't have any you know, relation to us because we're not apostles. We're under the authority of Christ and follow that. But I do believe that that teaching was correct. Yeah,
1: but he, he, Christ already knew that Judas was going to betray him, so he would be able. Make that
0: statement. Yes. Anybody else? Okay. Let's then move down a little bit and look at John chapter 13, verse 11. For he knew him that should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Well, this verse, as Ray alluded to just a moment ago, helps explain why not all the apostles were clean. There was a traitor in the group. There was a betrayer in the group. And this, of course, was Jesus. And the Lord said that this one... Who he did not hear specifically named was going to betray him. As Jesus describes this, there are a couple of verb tenses in the original text that are very, uh, very interesting. We've talked before about the perfect tense, and the perfect tense means that something was known or something was done in the past that has continuing results or the knowledge continues. Uh, and then there's there's also what's called the pluperfect, which is kind of like you know if you've got um, four stars, it's like four and a half stars. Uh, and when it says you know he knew this. Jesus had this knowledge. He knew uh, there was no doubt in his mind that Judas was going to be the one that betrayed him. So when we think about the betrayal, when we think about the crucifixion, this is stuff that didn't sneak up on Jesus. If you go back and you look at several of the other passages that we've discussed in the life of Christ, you find, for example, um, you know, where Jesus says, I came to serve. I came to you know, give my life a ransom for many. Well, he wasn't making some kind of wild prediction. He knew. What was going to take place? We'll look at, after a little bit, some information in John chapter 6 to make that point. But he knew that Judas was the one that was going to engage in this activity. And the second verb, which is significant for us, is the verb betray. That is expressed with the present tense. Present tense describes what kind of action? Ongoing. Ongoing. Well, that makes sense because we've already talked about Judas. He's met with the officials and he's gotten his money. He's working on a way to deliver up Jesus. So he is betraying. He is in the process of trying to figure out how he is going to deliver up the Lord. And uh, in my mind, it is really, really amazing that Jesus had this knowledge and yet was able to do all the things that he did. Um, We think of him as the Word, John 1, verse 1. He was with God. He was God. And then, of course, a little later in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says he became flesh. So he had divine insights, if you will. He had that knowledge. Um, uh, that God possesses. Apparently he didn't use it on every occasion because he was able to say, um, you, know, you know, Matthew, um, is it Matthew 23, 24. Uh, but of that, I think it's Matthew 23. Uh, of that day and hour knoweth no man, Matthew 24, 36, I think. Uh, but uh, the Father. Um, so there were some times apparently where he didn't engage that, but he did have that knowledge and knew exactly what Judas was going to do. There are a couple of points of application, I think, from verse 11 that are worthy of mentioning. The first one is that Jesus washed the feet of Judas, and yet, even though he did that, did Judas change his mind? Did he change his course? No. What would be the parallel between that and our time? You wash the feet of somebody and they don't change your course. All right, that's kind of the thing that jumps out to me first of all. Here's a person who's baptized. And after that experience, they don't change their life. They go back and they continue to uh, live their life in sin. They have no interest in doing what's right. Well, if we have that experience with somebody, we shouldn't be surprised because that's really what Jesus did. Washes the feet of this fella, and there is no change in his part really whatsoever. Uh, they do not have an interest in living as a Christian. Then there's a second point here I think that bears mentioning. If Jesus had that knowledge, perfect tense. And he knew that Judas was in the process of betraying him. Would you say that the Lord would have regarded Judas as a friend or an enemy? What? I, would, I mean, that would be the natural human conclusion that we would draw. He's not my friend if he's going to deliver me up to be crucified. And yet, even though he was an enemy, how did Jesus treat him? Just like everybody else. Didn't say, well, I'm not going to wash your feet. I will wash your feet just like the other 11 who are faithful. Is there a lesson in there about how we treat our enemies? There should be. He
1: didn't point a finger at it. No. Uh, to expose him before all the rest of him.
0: No. And you, know, you do find that kind of... There are people today who just almost seem to love to nitpick somebody that, to find every fault. But when you look at Jesus, He really did give people every possible opportunity to repent, to change their lives. I mean, if they need a pin in a corner... Okay, he was able to do that, and he sometimes did do that. But he desires people to repent. And yet today, sometimes there are folks, rather than have that as their initial, their first desire, it's we're just going to come and attack you, because that's what we like to do. Uh, But you're right, he could have been very mean to Judas, done a lot of bad things. But he was as kind to him as as he could possibly be. He
1: wasn't so kind, though, to the Pharisees, the
0: Sadducees, and things like that. But there again, when you get into Matthew chapter 23, where that happens... He's close to his death, and he doesn't have too many other opportunities. So at that point, it's I'm going to lay it on the line. But um, yeah, he did box people in when that was necessary, but he gave them every room to um, every opportunity to repent, which is another great example for us. Brent, uh, at the
1: garden, when Judas came, Matthew Matthew's account 26 verse 50, Jesus said to him, "Friend, where are you come? So even up to that point, he's still yeah. sending his hand to him.
0: I have no doubt, with God's compassion and love, if you will, that Judas had repented, truly repented. I mean, the, some translations will say he repented, and that's not metanoia. It's not the actual Greek word for repentance. It's the word for regret. But had he repented, could have found forgiveness. But he had set his course, and he pursued that to the to the bitter end. Tom? Could Jesus
1: have known that Judas was fulfilling Scripture, that he had to basically...
0: When you look down a little bit, uh, it's about verse 19, 21, where is it that talks about? 19. Is it 19 from henceforth? Mm. I don't see it in 19. talks about fulfilling scripture. Goes back to David.
1: 21.
0: Is it 21 of Hithophel?
1: 18.
0: Is it 18? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, I was looking too far ahead. Thanks, Josh. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread lifted up his heel against me, and so forth. So yes, Don, uh, Jesus was certainly cognizant of that and you know uh, realized that Judas was going to be the one who was going to it's kind of a type anti-type but uh, with David and, and one of his counselors Ahithophel um, the betrayal there uh, that involved Absalom um, the story we'll look at probably next week um, look forward to what we're dealing with here
1: yes, Jesus never displayed any kind of uh, vendetta or vengeance against his, his enemies because he knew scripture had to be
0: fulfilled well that and I think you have to uh, also couple with that love Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, God said, or Jesus said, God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And that's tough for us. You know, if it's a friend, we don't have any problem with his crops getting rain. But if you know it's the enemy, uh, he's done some bad stuff to us. Well, God withhold the rain. But when we look at Jesus, that just was not how he lived. He really tried to, um, I mean, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. And those are the people who want to do what's right, and those are the people who don't want to do what's right. And that type of love, that level of uh, love is amazing, and it's even the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. Jesus said, "Go thou and do likewise." And for the people who heard that lesson in that day and time, that was, you've got to be kidding me. you know who would live in that kind of way Virginia he
1: says, who have I ever chosen? Jesus chose.
0: Yes, he did. Yeah. Remember he had prayed all night back there about the time, um, associated with the sermon on the Mount, and he had chosen those men so Yeah. Well, I did choose Peter. But uh, I, I you, you you find...
1: looking at chosen in a different way. She's got, you're saying that he chose... instead doesn't might have chosen. But he chose him as an apostle. That's what he's meaning, not chosen to
0: betray him. And he's talking about betraying yeah, him. I know still, he still didn't choose him to betray him. Well, it sounds like... He um, did let's, didn't know he did. It was pointless. I don't I really don't for me to well, there are some things about that, Virginia, that are difficult to grasp. I was going to say there are two passages it's here. It's too hard for me to understand why he put Adam and Eve in the garden down left to, tell him not to that tree and he knew they would eat it. Well, I mean, but, okay, before, before, before we come up with the whole list, let's just. <laughs> Let's, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that, that's fine. We can take them, but we're we're going to try to take them one by one. Let's go back to John six for a second. And look at John six verse seventy. This passage I think helps a little bit. John six verse seventy. Jesus answered them, "Did not I choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. I chose you, and one of you is a devil. Now, the, well, he did know." But when you look at people, there is no statement that I'm aware of that said Judas was bad from the beginning. Uh, when you you look at this fella, for example, let's let's take another um, John six verse seventy. Let's also go back. No six seventy. I'm sorry if I s- stated six seven. That was not correct. get everybody on the same page. John 6:70 Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? so not that I chose the devil I chose you one of you has turned out this way And then if you back up a little bit, Matthew 10 let's take a look here. This passage may also offer a little assistance. Matthew 10 starting at the beginning and he called unto him his 12 uh, disciples, the apostles, and gave them authority to do what? Alright, cast out the unclean spirits, do what else? Heal all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. Who got that authority? And if you don't know, you can read the next few verses. Who got the authority? Who were the uh, 12 apostles? So would Judas have been included in that? So here you have Judas, he is considered, if you will, a full full blown apostle. Um, And based on that authority, I would conclude from that, I think it's fair to infer that Judas cast out demons. He was on the side of right, opposing what was wrong. Judas was someone who was able to uh, deal with sickness and uncleanness. He had served, from what I can tell, in a commendable way. But you know, as people go through life, don't people change? You know, um, you find that in marriage, you find that with kids, and you say, you've changed. You used to be a rotten kid. And now look at you. You're the mayor. Oh, wow, something has really turned around. And it also works in the reverse, doesn't it? You used to be such a good kid. Now you're breaking into my house. Why are you doing that? So when you look at the way that people exercise, Peter changed. I believe it's John chapter 1, verse 42. Let's take a quick look at that as well. Yes. John 142. He brought him unto Jesus. Jesus looked upon him and said, Thou art Simon, the son of John. Thou shalt be called Cephas. Which is, by interpretation, Peter. Jesus said you're going to become a rock. Now, that apparently was not Peter's character, if you will. But Jesus, looking down through time, said you're going to fulfill God's plan. You're going to use your choices. You're going to use your free will. You're going to behave in such a way where this is, I, I, you know, I'm giving you free will. But I know that this is going to be how you turn out later in life. And this is going to be productive for my kingdom. Same thing for Judas. Uh, Jesus, as he looked at him, he selected him, not because he was making him a traitor, um, but because in the grand scheme of things, he would be one that would help fulfill God's will. In the initial stages, Matthew 10, he would be one who would be willing to go out and cast out demons. And then at the end, he would use that free will to choose to be the vehicle that would um, um, crucify um, or have crucify the Lord. Yes, he did. I mean, I understand. Someone had to You can take your question, which is a great question, it's a thought provoking question, and put it into almost any category when it comes to a biblical person or biblical creature. Here's another example. Let's think about Satan. Did Satan have free will? Did he? I don't know that anybody would deny that. Now, let's think about that fact in terms of. Um, let's take a look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is not the only place that we could turn to. But let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 18 says, Knowing that ye were redeemed, not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from your vain manner of life, handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb slain without blemish and without spot, even the blood of Christ. And then here's the key part, verse 20. Who was what? Foreknown. Indeed, before when? So, before the world was created, certainly before Adam and Eve came along, Jesus was regarded. He was seen as the lamb who would die for the sins of the world. Now, why would you need a lamb, a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, even before the earth is created long before humanity comes along why would you need this lamb way back when alright so if you knew that man was going to sin there has to be a catalyst for that doesn't there well who was the catalyst well no let's go back further you're right it was the devil devil. so Adam and Eve but if we back that up a step it was the devil now what did we just say about the devil free. free will or no he had free will. Uh, so there again, with that knowledge Christ had, the knowledge of God the Father had, you have these two things coming together. Um, so people generally don't have any difficulty admitting the free will part, but when you add in God's foreknowledge, that's where they stumble. But I think that you need to keep in there the fact that uh, man has free will, and if we can focus on that fact, be 100% confident in that fact, which is a Bible fact, uh, then God's foreknowledge, we say that is also part of the package, even though from a human perspective that may be uh, a little difficult to put together. But still, if we know that man has free will, uh, then God is able to work within that system, if you will, to let that free will be maintained and still accomplish his purposes. Todd, I saw your hand.
1: If God knows everything,
0: Okay, I understood the first part, but let me make sure I understand the second part. Um, Let's go back and clarify a little bit as far as Satan. Why he would have made Satan. Yeah, if he knew that he was
1: going to sin, why did he
0: create the world to even do that? Yeah, Uh, I get that question from time to time. It is a great question. It's probably more of a God question than a Bible class teacher question. But the best answer I can give to you is the answer that I've given to others. And that is when you you think about God. He is described as uh, with various characteristics. For example, God is light. Um, God is all powerful. But one of the qualities, and John picks this up in his book, he says God is love. My current thinking and understanding is that love is so magnificent. It's just like. And this every illustration that I can offer and probably anybody can offer is is going to be inadequate. But can you imagine news that is so good? News that is so important. As soon as you get it, you have to share it. It might be at 2 o'clock. It might be that somebody is in the hospital in a coma. And you just shake them and say, here's some news there are some things which are just so imperative, so pressing, so important, they have just got to be spread, they've got to be shared, they've got to be used. My understanding is that God's love is so vast, it was almost as if there had to be some object for it, a way to display that. And even though God knew that creation, angels, and men, would fall, reject that love. His love is so great, it is in so need of sharing. The cost that is the lost are less valuable, if you will, figuratively speaking, than the people who receive that love. There was
1: apparently something that only Jesus Judas, and that was, was the thief. Uh, the other didn't know that. Jesus was, was
0: the treasure, so he was taking down Yeah. So as time came along, opportunity, there were some tendencies that developed, and like we mentioned with the kids, sometimes it starts out this way and reverses and so forth. Yes. Uh, and when you think about God's love, um, to toss in a biblical passage here, remember the the sheep. How many are lost? One. One. And what does a shepherd do? Loves that sheep, he's willing to go out and leave the 99 for that one. So, God's love is so vast that even though there is going to be a cost to it, an eternal cost for the devil and his angels, it is still so great in the end that it deserves to be expressed. And that's what he did. Now that may not be a good answer, that may be an answer where you just kind of roll your eyes at and think, man, that was one of the craziest things I ever heard in Bible class. But if you think about that, tie in some passages with it, that in my mind begins to at least, you know, uh, why do, why do parents have kids? Dishwasher? Lawnmower? Yeah, raise your hand, yes. Uh, why do they have kids? We've got love! We want to show, we want to demonstrate, we want to share our love. God does that and has done that on an even greater scale. Alright, enough philosophy? Okay, let's see where we left off. John 13, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12. So when he had washed the feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done done to you, Ye call me teacher and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. As you look at verse 12, we have here, I think, one more indication that Jesus has, at this point in his life, far more on his mind than foot washing. The apostles, they lived in a culture, as we said, where this was common, no socks, the shoes were open, very dirty, very grimy culture and so forth. And now as you look at the question at the end of verse 12, it indicates that he was thinking about some kind of spiritual lesson, that lesson that we've talked about before. Humility, a willingness to serve and so forth, as we've discussed in previous classes. In verse 13, he says the disciples call. This is expressed with the present tense. They call, they refer to Jesus as master and Lord. Now, this was a fairly common way for students to address the rabbi, master, Lord. But here, as John writes this in the Greek text, he uses not just one definite article, that would be the word the, but he uses two definite articles. He says, you call me the Master, and you call me the Lord, and you're wrong. No, doesn't say that. And what's he say? You say well. You say rightly because... This is who I am. I am the master. I am the Lord. Now that word that's translated master is didaskalos, and that's an interesting word. Um, It really means teacher. In a lot of places, King James, American Standard, it is translated Lord. But if you were to go back to verses like John 3, verse 2, you would find it there where Nicodemus said, we know that you're a teacher from God. Same word that's used by Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus is man's teacher. But like some students today, does every student want to hear the teacher? Not so much. Students will sometimes you know, skip classes, they'll fail to hear, and the apostles at times had, if you will, kind of missed some classes. They're not always uh, tuned in very well. And uh, today, as we think about the teaching of Christ, some want to hear just a little of it, maybe most of it, but not all of it. Sometimes they want to get rid of him. They certainly did in the first century. They tried to do that by uh, crucifying him, by killing him. But Jesus says that's not going to work. I am the teacher, I am the master, I am the Lord, and if you're not interested in me, do not expect me to uh, simply go away. Another key word here is Lord. Uh, kurios is the word in the original text, and if you look at Lord, you find that it is a very, very common word. In fact, it's used more than 700 times in the New Testament. To kind of wrap your head around how important this word is, if you were to take three words that we commonly use, and these words would be uh, church, kingdom, and baptism. Church, kingdom, and baptism. And if you would look at all the times where church, kingdom, and baptism are used in the New Testament, and you'd add them up, you would come to just over 250 times, about 256 times with um, all the passages where each of these words is used. Now imagine that, three key words, total under 300 times. And now you deal with just this one word on the other side of the fence uh, more than 700 times. So this is a very, very important word, and it is a word that is discussed in a variety of ways. Uh, For example, when we're going through the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, John said Jesus is the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords. There is no one on earth, there is no one in heaven except the um, Father and the Holy Spirit that would be above Christ. He is literally over all things. Uh, You may remember that Jesus alluded to that shortly before he goes back to heaven. All authority, all power, as we find in Matthew chapter 28, 28, Uh, Jesus said, has been given unto me. And he was not kidding. He was not exaggerating. And yet, as you look at the Lord, his exalted position over everything, supreme commander, if you will, over uh, over everything. And yet, with all that power, with all that authority and glory, what did he do? That came to the earth, lived as a man, washed the apostles' feet, that demeaning, menial task in the first century, and then died on the cross. And then here are the apostles. They're running around thinking, I'm great. I'm big. Look at me. Can you see why Jesus had a little chit-chat session with them? There was a big problem. So, if they haven't gotten it to this point, and apparently he's thinking they, they, they still lack some understanding... It's, you know, how much more is he going to have to do to communicate humility, service, all of those things? And today, we still need those lessons that uh, there has to be that willingness to be humble, there has to be that willingness to serve and so forth, and that's what you really see in John chapter 13, verse 14. As we read, If I then, the Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, if I have humbled myself to do this menial task, then what should you be about doing? as you live out your life on the earth. There should not be a single thing that you think that you're too good to do. But we live in a time where a lot of people simply do not have that view. So as you look at the um, you know context, as you go through this information, you know point by point, you begin to see that the people who use this to teach foot washing in church, if you will, quote unquote, they, they completely misunderstand the point that Jesus was trying to make. Then you, at verse 14, at the end of the verse, you find a couple of other things that are significant. These also come from the original tense. Uh, there are two present tense verbs. Jesus says, you ought ongoing action. You ought, present tense, to wash, present tense, each other's feet. And what would you think that the present tense there is instructive for us today? On a regular basis, you should be washing feet. What's significant about that? You
1: don't do it once
0: in a All right. When you think about the religious groups today that wash feet, quote unquote, for example, if you see the quote unquote pope do that, it might be once a year. It's definitely not a regular thing. So as Jesus talks about this on a regular basis, it's one more indication that he's not talking about literally washing the feet. He's saying, how often should you show humility? How often should you be a servant? Once a year? He says it's a 24-7 job. As you go through the Christian life, as you seek to live for God, humility, service, these things need to typify who you are. Then there's this other quick point. As you look at that word, it's a verb. It's translated ought. It's a word that means indebted. It's a word that means owe. Now think about that. Jesus says you are indebted. You owe to someone the washing of their feet. Now we understand owe. We understand indebted. If you're indebted to the bank, if you owe the bank some money for house payment, you're supposed to pay that. That's the proper thing to do. Well, do you think most people could understand that we don't have any... Obligation, there's no debt, we don't owe anybody, you know, to go up with a washcloth and wash your feet. We don't owe that to anybody. But what do we owe? What kind of debt do we have? If we've been a Christian, saved by Christ, and we have a debt, we have an obligation to others, and what is it? Word. Uh, service. Part of it is going to certainly involve that, and humility. Well, as I think about that, this point of application comes to mind. You ever find some Christians who are haughty? Proud? Act like they're better than anybody else? If you find that attitude, are you going to find a good servant? Not so swell. So Jesus, as He talks about this, He has um, you know, come from heaven. He's done all He can possibly do. And He says, Now, guys, it's your turn. You need to uh, pick up with this responsibility and you need to live in the right way. Thoughts that you have over what we've talked about, right?
1: Then off,
0: then off peace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's a debt and paul romans 1 verse 14 he said i'm a debtor so paul felt it philemon was also supposed to feel it and and that needs to be um uh, motivating force the driving force of who we are uh if there's a way that we can help if there's a way that we can serve and serve in a humble way we want to do that because of what jesus has done for us and that's going to make a great person and in a local congregation a great group of people anybody else Well, with a minute left, let's at least read verse 15. John 13. And Well, we'll read through 17 because that's kind of a complete thought. For I have given you an example that ye also should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither one that is sent is greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, blessed are ye if ye do them. Uh, So kind of save uh, that for next week. But in... Quick summation, the Lord was saying, as we mentioned earlier, I've shown you what to do. I've given you this example, not a literal washing of feet, but humility and service. And you make sure, as you prepare, if you will, to take over my role in the world as far as preaching and teaching, that this is how you live, this is how you behave, and God will be pleased with you.